your child may be an early reader, deeply focused on creative pursuits, and incredibly interesting as a human being. But what happens when that same child struggles with overstimulation, anxiety, or depression? Today's guest is Ginny Coaches, here to discuss homeschooling kids who were wired differently. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, I'm Lisa Maladnik, and today's guest is Ginny Coaches. Ginny is a Catholic wife and mom to three twice-exceptional children. A former high school English teacher and adjunct professor of English, Ginny has been homeschooling for the past seven years. Ginny believes God gives curious, creative, intense children the exact mother those children need. She offers practical support and prayerful encouragement to mothers of exceptional children on her blog, Not So Formulaic. Welcome to the program, Ginny. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited about this topic because in our large homeschooling uh, community here on Long Island in New York, we have a decent number of really interesting kids, you know, kids that are not <laughs> wired, uh, you know, sort of exactly the way everybody else is. And they're, and they're really neat kids. Um, yeah, challenging for their parents, no question, but really neat kids. Tell us a little about your journey of discovering that your children were wired differently and how that made you feel at first anyway about your ability to mother them. What was that like for you? It's, it's been a long journey, um, definitely. And, and I like calling it a journey because it's, it's a constant, I'm constantly learning. God is constantly redirecting and showing me, you know, where I need to go and how I need to get there. Um, and he uses my children really as the instrument for that. So I, I think, you know, that is, you know, before I begin explaining everything that happened, I think that's important to say is that I really believe my children, you know, as much as God designated me as their right mother, you know, as the mother they needed, um, he designated these children for me because he knew they would help me grow. Um, so I'm so grateful for that. Um, when our first, well, we, we have three children. Um, they're spaced about three and a half to three quarters years apart, which I, you know, at the time I was like, well, gosh, Lord, I thought I would have like lots of kids, <laughs> you know, but he always, his timing is always you know, so amazing because um, they each one of them is very intense and each one of them has needed me. Um, and so he has always sent the next child along when um, it was the right time. So um, they are 12, 8, and 4. Uh, and when we sent our oldest off to kindergarten, it was a bit of a disaster. Um, she started reading before she went into kindergarten. She taught herself how to read in preschool. And we knew that she was different. She was intensely focused. Um, she would sit down at the table and she would create with Play-Doh or clay or draw just these elaborate drawings, illustrations um, on paper, on canvas, whatever, for hours to the exclusion of getting up to go eat, using the bathroom. Um, but she was so creative. And, you know, I didn't mind, you know, reminding her, hey, let's go do this, you know, to help her. So we sent her, you know, she went to a play-based preschool. She had a good time there. We really didn't have any problems because she was able to sort of do what she wanted to do within the structure of the preschool. Kindergarten is different. Kindergarten is very different. So when she went in, um, she began to have intense meltdowns. Um, and 
I think most people would identify them. If you don't know the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown, you would probably call them tantrums because it looks like she's upset that she's not getting her way. She's poorly behaved. But really what was happening is that she was overwhelmed by all of the sensory stimulation in the classroom. And she did not have the verbal ability to explain to her teacher what was going on inside of her emotionally and intellectually um, because she was leaps and bounds beyond where her peers were in the kindergarten classroom. Yeah, I'd just like to clarify, wasn't she reading Tolkien by this point? She was. She yeah. was. We're, we're not yeah. talking about a kid reading Dr. Seuss early. No. A child really deeply reading at a high level. Yeah, and she, she had read The Wizard of Oz. Um, you know, she was, she was very, she was reading well um, and, and really had some deep philosophical understandings. Um, which we were just like, oh, this is neat. You know, we didn't really, <laughs> we didn't really think much of it. Um, and so I, there was one instance where she had been asked to fill out a worksheet. Um, and the way the teacher wanted it filled out, if she had followed the directions, it would have been grammatically incorrect. <laughs> so, but, you know, my daughter didn't know how to say this isn't right. She just knew internally it would be wrong. So she had a meltdown underneath the kindergarten, ta- the the table in the kindergarten classroom. Um, She was stamping her feet. She was screaming things like, I'm smarter than you are. I know better than this. You know, she was out of her mind. (laughs) So we were, we were at a point and this was happening. She would probably have meltdowns like this once or twice a week. And sometimes they were verbal. Most of the time she would just lash out. She would yell. She would scream. She would cry. It would last 45 minutes. They'd call me. I could hear her screaming in the background um, she was running from the classroom. And so, of course, as her mother and, and as a child who never did anything wrong ever in school, I mean, I was, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yes, I made mistakes, but I was afraid. I was terrified of getting in trouble. So, you know, I followed the line <laughs> to the best of my ability. I thought, well, what have I done wrong? You know, I clearly have not done a good job training this child's moral compass, you know, I, I mean, she's, and I remember talking to my mother on the phone and saying, mom, I'm afraid I'm raising a psychopath. And my mother said, you are not raising a psychopath. You are raising your daughter. And I don't ever want to hear you say that again. And she was right because through all of the struggles, you know, I was finally able to say, okay, you know, we need to get her an evaluation. Let's get it. Let's figure out what's going on. Um, and we, when we did the evaluation, they discovered that she has, well, she has a high IQ. Um, she is highly gifted and she also has um, level one autism. So when they, when they initially diagnosed her, they put her under the Asperger's umbrella. Um, we didn't necessarily agree with that. Um, so we took her for a second opinion. She was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. Um, and then that is when I really began to learn more about giftedness and the, um, different, I guess really the different wiring that accompanies such intellectual ability. Um, we began homeschooling because the, we thought about taking her to the public school because we had her in a Catholic school. The Catholic school wasn't really able to provide for her in the way that we wanted. The public school could have, um, but obviously there were major drawbacks to that. So I decided um, that we would homeschool. We brought her home. Um, she 
immediately within the first month of homeschooling was flourishing. I mean, her meltdowns were much less. Um, we got involved in our local homeschool co-op, which was really great. She met lots of other kids um, who were very similar to her, especially in, we got her involved in a, an arts and theater and music program. Um, so she's, you know, she's found her tribe and, and she's great. She's doing well. <laughs> mm. um, and you I'd really just like to um, just say, Jenny, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that, that it initially what was kind of a typical thing for a gifted child, which was the sensory processing difficulty, and maybe we need to step people into that a little bit, got her labeled as being on the autism spectrum. And that was not correct. Is that right? Well, here's where things get a little complicated. There are traits um, of autism that will overlap with giftedness. Now that does not mean that every gifted child is autistic. That does not mean that every autistic child is gifted, okay? There's a, there are similarities in behaviors that will look the same. So there's that part of it, where giftedness can mirror, in some instances, what autism look, looks like. So the intense focus, um, the desire to go down rabbit holes, the, the black and white thinking, um, the, the sensitivity to their surroundings, um, and, and the sensory, I guess, just, um, input. Now, um, for my daughter, because she does have sensory processing disorder, that does put her on the spectrum by a bit because sensory processing disorder is an autistic, um, it's an, I, I guess it's a, it goes along with the spectrum of what's on the autism spectrum. Um, so she, I, I mean, to simplify things, I typically say now that she does have level one autism just because it's easier than trying to explain it's sensory processing disorder. Not every child who has sensory processing disorder is on the autism spectrum, but she probably is. I mean, it's, it's complicated. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm sorry if that doesn't like clarify things for no, you. No, actually, I think that's probably a comfort to parents to hear because there's a little, there's a gray area there. There is. And, 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 you know, I think we might have talked about this previously. There's a real resistance among parents in certain areas, uh, you know, and, you know, just certain parents with different philosophies that will not want those labels for their children because they find them limiting or distracting from the individual in front of them. And others will use the label because it helps them to get more information, resources, and support from the community. And so the label itself is only useful so far. Right, right. And that's, that was the first person you mentioned, that was me. You know, I didn't want a label for my child. I was very upset. I went to a deep period of mourning and denial. Um, and God has been really patient with me, you know, and over the years has showed me that, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with who she is. You know, he's created her to be the exact individual he wants her to be. Um, you know, my job is to help her focus that energy and, you know, find ways to find ways to help her cope with the difficulties that she encounters and then really find ways to um, shine and, and become, you know, fully alive, you know, um, and, and be that person. So when my, my second child, um, my eight-year-old, began exhibiting signs of severe anxiety. Um, I didn't, she was probably about three or four, and I didn't really clue in at first as to what was really going on. And about a year ago, um, it reached a fever pitch, and we decided we really had to seek out some help. So I was much less resistant to the evaluation process. Um, 
you know, we've, we've taken her in. She's been working with a Catholic therapist since February. She now has a dual diagnosis of OCD and generalized anxiety disorder. And we also know that she is gifted as well because she's been through um, the evaluation process with our county schools. Um, so, you know, I, I think over time, what seems terrifying and insurmountable becomes much more manageable. And you begin to see the ways in which you can really draw out the amazing qualities um, that, your, that your child has. And, you know, as I mentioned previously, help them cope with the things um, that are holding them back or making it harder for them to function on a daily basis. Now, is that why homeschooling among gifted and twice exceptional kids is growing? I would say so. I think because they have found, parents are finding that the classroom environment is really restrictive. Um, and, you know, as a classroom teacher, you know, I could even see that myself. You know, the kids who truly were the intellectually gifted ones were not always the students who did well in my classroom. They were the kids who had these brilliant ideas in discussion. And when they actually turned in papers, they were amazing, but they, they had to turn them in, you know, <laughs> was the mm-hmm. and they had to sit still during class and they had to stop drawing and listen to me. And they had to, you know, they had to be a square peg, you know? Um, and, and, and they just, they weren't. Um, <laughs> they didn't fit the block. You know, they, they didn't fit the puzzle. Um, and so, unfortunately, a lot of those students, you know, some of them managed with C averages. Others of them, you know, ended up leaving the school or um, some of them, their moms actually pulled them out and started homeschooling because it was much easier to handle the absent-minded professor, the intensities, you know, the, the quirkiness in the home environment because you can go at your own pace. You know, if you suddenly get obsessed with um, how a dragon might theoretically work and, you know, you can start studying physics and chemistry and start exploring all those things. Wow. um, Now, that's what happened to my daughter. She became obsessed with, not obsessed, but really heavily interested in dragons, um, you know, after reading kind of like the Lord of the Rings and all of that. And so, you know, this it's carried on to this day, like this past school year, we were studying chemistry and she really wanted to know, like, could potentially a dragon, you know, breathe fire and what kind of chemical reaction would be required um, in order for that to happen. So we spent a lot of time discussing that. (laughs) That's amazing. That's fabulous. Yeah. So because it's that intersection between the highly imaginative mind and the need to know, to analyze, to get their hands on something and hold it and be able to grasp it. I just love that intense curiosity is just such a beautiful gift. It is. And I think in a, in a classroom, I think, you know, as a former teacher, I, and I come from a long line of teachers, I really believe teachers in schools are doing the best that they can. But when you've got a classroom of 25 or 30 kids, there isn't time for, you know, to let kids embrace that intense creativity or that imaginative nature. Um, so they, they just don't have the opportunity to let that unfold. So when you come home, Um, you know, and you can pick and choose your classes and, you know, there are so many different options these days of, you know, well, obviously homeschool connections, you know, which allows you to take (laughs) classes at at your leisure and, um, you know, hybrid schools and university models. Um, it really, the flexibility really is great for families raising kids who are gifted or twice exceptional. And, And maybe we should just stop and define a little bit what we mean by gifted and twice exceptional. 
The definition of gifted is a little difficult because there's no one standard agreed upon definition. It varies depending on where you look. So most people say that gifted is an IQ above 130, but that doesn't, you know, IQ isn't everything. You know, IQ does not cover an individual's artistic ability. It doesn't cover an an individual's um, emotional intelligence. So, you know, for my eight-year-old, she has an exceedingly high emotional quotient. So that is, that's part of what feeds her anxiety is that she feels what's going on around her. She's our canary in our coal mine, you know? So I know when she's having a hard time, I know it's because there's something going on in the family. So really there, there are characteristics that you can recognize giftedness by. And typically it's, you know, the um, intense curiosity the desire to just learn everything they possibly can about a topic. Um, usually early verbal skills are um, an indicator, not always, um, but most of the time. A really excellent memory um, with very fast recall. So it, an impressive working memory, fast recall, um, the ability to read something once and then just know it, absorb it. Um, and that's my, my four-year-old taught himself to read. He'll be five at the end of October. He taught himself to read when he was in three and a half simply by looking at books <laughs> and, wow. and read to them. Um, so he's been reading for a while. Um, but, but again, it's that, it's that, you know, lightning fast memory. Um, and then the, the vivid imagination, the quick wit, the frequent daydreaming, um, and even sometimes poor executive functioning skills. So being a total basket case when it comes to organization and knowing <laughs> where your stuff is, or even just taking care of your personal hygiene. Like <laughs> I, I, I still have to remind my 12 year old, please go brush your hair. You know, <laughs> like she just doesn't think about that. Her mind is elsewhere. <laughs> she just needs um, a personal assistant. She'll be fine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> usually the personal assistant is me. So I get a little worried. Like what, what, but, I'm, I'm teaching, you know, and that's what I do in my blog. I'm, you know, I talk about scaffolding and how you give your kids these tools to go out in the world so they don't fall apart. Um, and then twice exceptionality, um, that is, it, it used to be, be believed that gifted individuals could not have learning difficulties of any kind, um, that they were always the high achievers who, you know, just did really well. But if you look at Einstein, um, you know, Einstein was a terrible student. Um, he was, he was, he dropped out of school. Um, they hired a private tutor. Uh, he worked for the patent office. Really wasn't a very good employee. Um, but when he got into the, you know, the esoteric realm of the, the sciences that he was really interested in, you could not hold him back. Um, so most likely, Einstein was a twice exceptional, which means that he probably had some form of dyslexia or um, something that, a learning difference that made it difficult for him to access a traditional curriculum. Um, so that's what twice exceptionality Thank is. Thank you for putting it that way. A, a learning difference yes. that makes it difficult to access. How did you put that? A traditional curriculum. A traditional curriculum. Okay. I just wanted to make that point, you know, kind of solidly. They're mm -hmm. different. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. So it's, it's any, any learning difference that keeps a child from accessing a traditional curriculum. So even things like um, ADHD. Or um, anxiety, which, you know, we deal with at home, depression, which is, all, is very common in gifted individuals, um, the autism spectrum disorders, um, trying to think, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, 
And dysgraphia is uh, difficulty with writing? Yes. Mm-hmm. And what's the other one? It dyscalculia is difficulty with, with numbers. It's, it's like dyslexia, but it focuses on, uh, on numbers instead of letters. And then, you know, apraxia, which is a, um, an expressive language uh, disability. Or even, um, even myself, I have an auditory uh, processing disorder. Um, you know, and interestingly, the more I've learned about my children, the more I've gone back to like my old test scores and said, oh my gosh, you know, like I am my kids. <laughs> no wonder I have all these difficulties. Wow. So the journey of self-knowledge as well. That's beautiful. Yes. Wow. It's been really interesting. So, so anyway, yes, sorry, not to, uh, not to corral or derail our discussion. But. No, not at all. I think that's really important and interesting I trust the Holy Spirit with this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> this is so important. Yeah, the human side of it, your own experience is important for other moms to hear. Okay, well, thank you. And I think, you know, the the thing about defining giftedness and twice exceptionality is that a lot of people, you know, as I mentioned before, um, you know, they see the high achievers, you know, the, the kids who are valedictorians um, and who, you know, go off to Ivy League schools. And not all of those kids are gifted. They are bright. They are high achieving learners. They know, you know, they have self-motivation. They have these skills to move them forward and to do well in a classroom. Gifted individuals really struggle with, truly gifted individuals really struggle with those kinds of, um, with those things. Um, now, I mean, true, there's, it's not black and white and there are, you know, shades of gray on, on, on all sides here. Um, but you will find that, um, they're not, they're not the, the, the academic achievers that you would anticipate them to be. Are gifted or twice exceptional girls typically different than boys in those categories? Uh, in terms of the way they learn or typical characteristics, there, are there any notable differences? You know, it's, it's interesting that you asked me that question. I, from what I have seen, not beyond the standard gender differences. My daughter, my 12-year-old, reminds me of a lot of the gifted guys that I dealt with. You know, very, um, not a lot of self-motivation, would prefer to work on the computer and do some coding or do some graphic design work than do her homework. (laughs) You know, so I, I think... I mean, yes, there are differences because girls are girls and boys are boys. And so there's a different way they're going to approach things. I think gifted boys in general really like hands-on. You know, they, they need a lot of movement. Um, but I find that's the same with, with gifted girls as well. So I think, um, I think it really depends on the individual constellation of the wiring. And I, and I think that's why it's so important for me to tell people that, you know, every, every individual is unique and unrepeatable. Um, and so... It's hard to sort of categorize and say, you know, this is how it's always going to be. And that's why, you know, I try to give lots of different options and possibilities, you know, for or ways for people to teach their kids so that they can approach their children where their children are and move them forward, you know, in whatever way they need forward. Yeah, let's dive into your blog a little bit. Notsoformulaic.com. You have a community there. And I saw the counter today that you're up to about 3,100 moms and dads who are participating in your community who are signed up and and receiving your messages, the beautiful comments on your blog about 
just how much it means to people to hear about your journey step by step because they're relating. They're not feeling so isolated themselves. And I know that in the presentation that you give, you talk about one of the typical sufferings of gifted people is that they feel isolated while their parents and struggling with their particular issues can feel very isolated too. Um, I just want to read off a few things that I pulled from your website that I thought were beautiful that you say to your community. You, my friend, are not a failure. Your children are not broken. Oof, that almost just makes me cry because I think every parent feels like their failures and their children are broken sometimes. We're comparing ourselves too much and not trusting God enough. But when you have twice exceptional children, the challenges are multiplied. I love this one too. Love your child. Enjoy your child. Celebrate your child. Don't let school get in the way of that. Just beautiful. Thank you. Mm. And you also have four different sections on your blog. Breathe form, teach, and find. Do you want to say a few words about what it is that you're doing there as far as sharing, you know, some strategies? Sure. It's, it's definitely, I'm, it's still kind of a work in progress. I'm still going back. I, when I initially started out my blog, I was blogging about a couple of different things. Um, and while well, I started out with, um, how to teach writing. That was one thing. And then homeschooling and then Catholic motherhood and then gifted into e parenting. But what I found over the years is that most of the people who were coming to me and, and um, really resonating with what I was talking about were Catholic and Christian moms who had these out of the box kids they didn't know what to do with. And so um, since November, um, over the, well, over the past probably couple of months and years, I have um, been working on narrowing down my focus. So those four sections, um, you know, breathe, teach, form, um, and then I, I don't have it in front of me. I think you said find. Uh, oh, find. Yes. Find yeah. resources. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, breathe is all about self-care, you know, how to um, encourage your own prayer life to find um, peace in the Lord and rest in the Lord so that you can parent these children um, in the right way. And I I have a special affinity for St. Zaley Martin, um, who is the mother of St. Therese. And um, I think she's blessed now, blessed Leone. She may still be venerable. I have to check. Um, But they, you know, uh, Zaley had a really hard time raising those girls. They were super intense (laughs) and very difficult. Mm. I find such great comfort in reading her writing. Um, And so I, you know, I want to carry that charism that St. Zaley had, you know, just that, um, that distinct trust and, and knowing that everything will be okay, even though you feel like the world is falling apart. I want to carry that through um, in that section on my blog. So there's resources there on, you know, how to take care of yourself um, and how to really, you know, take care of your husband because you you can't do it alone, obviously Um, how to find your tribe, all that kind of stuff. And then form um, gifted individuals are statistically more likely to walk away from any form of faith um, or religion than um, the average individual. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the desire to understand things to their fullest extent, to have logical answers, um, to really grasp the knowledge and have concrete um, concrete things to hold on to in their um, search for faith. And so what a gift that we have the Catholic faith, because that is what Catholicism offers us. I mean, it offers us faith and reason, and we have so many there's so many books and and resources um, from the saints and doctors of the church and the catechism. So 
the form section of my website focuses on how to um, correctly form catechetically your children so that you're raising solid Catholics who go on um, to really use the gifts that God has given them in the most positive way possible. Mm, wow. Um, That's so, beautiful. Thank you. Um, and so then teach has to do with homeschooling. Um, you know, so how are, how are you going to homeschool these kids? You know, how, and, and even if you're not homeschooling, cause I actually do have a large population of readers who have their children in traditional school, how to enrich their education. Um, and you know, I, th I think a lot of people think you can't, you're either a homeschooler or you're a traditional schooler. Well, there's actually a lot of, you know, again, gray area because you can, we are children's primary educators. So a lot of the things that I write about as it pertains to gifted homeschooling, you can do these things at home after school, you know? Um, so there's lots of resources there for, um, you know, how to help them write more effectively because gifted kids really there are a lot of gifted kids who don't like writing or don't like writing specific ways. <laughs> so there's resources there for that. There's um, great, you know, there's curricular reviews, um, activities and things that you can do at home to, you know, engage your children. Um, and also, you know, how to, how to keep your kids organized and from, you know, how to, how to, how to help them stay on top of their schoolwork. Um, and then finally the resources section that is for, um, Moms, well, there's, I will have um, a section on uh, recommended books, you know, parenting books, um, recommended uh, resources that I really like, websites. Um, I have some, I really love Pink Salt Riot and um, Kindred Forest. They're two jewelry retailers who have a lot of um, items, just small, like bracelets and things. That, like I have a bracelet with a, a Zaley Martin medal on it, and I wear it all the time. Um, you know, because then it, when the kids are struggling, I can just look down and say, okay, Zane Zaley, pray for me, you know, help me, <laughs> help me do this. Um, so yeah, that's, um, and also in that section, I have, um, I have a line of toolkits. Um, so they're basically resources that parents can use um, that give them practical answers for problems that they have. So the first one that I, that I released is on um, how to choose your child's patron saint. Now, um, a lot of people already, you know, have patron saints for their kids, but this kind of takes into account their temperament, their gifts, their abilities, and it's got all these different saints that you can, you know, choose from, and it's a workbook, essentially. Um, and then next week, I have one coming out on executive functioning skills to help people um, help their kids stay organized and, you know, how to help around the house and um, stay focused. So um, that's what that section is for. Wow, just beautiful and rich. So much going on there. And um, there's a list of websites there too that you recommend. And we'll, 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 uh, we'll just send everybody to your blog because rather than try to, you know, yeah, put it all there. on the show page, there's so yeah. much to be found at notsoformulaic.com. Um, just as far as wrapping up, we've talked a little bit about uh, strategies. We've talked about how to identify giftedness and twice exceptional children, some of the myths and some of the confusion about learning disabilities and things like that. Um, our, our kids are pretty complicated, aren't they? They are. <laughs> yeah. um, any final thoughts for our listeners? I think it's important to realize I, I a lot of people are afraid of being able to homeschool a gifted child or a two-e child because they don't think they have the tools necessary. Um, and, and the truth is, you know, we all do. Um, because God wouldn't give us these kids if he, he didn't think that we could do it. Um, and I think when you go into homeschooling a gifted or two-e child, you have to look at yourself as a facilitator and not so much the teacher. Because, you know, you, you have to provide the pathway 
for all the things that they want to learn and then let them go, let them explore, let them do, and then give them course correction along the way. Um, so like you, if you're going to take this project on, you know, you know how much your child can handle. So, you know, if you want to say, okay, you have this book to read and I'm going to give you time to do that and just let them go and do it. And you trust that they'll get the book done. Then great. You know, you don't have to constantly be on top of them. Um, you know, or if you have a child who really needs a little bit more, you know, you can break it into chunks. I mean, it's, it's just very, you know, you're the facilitator to their exploration and their learning. Um, and they'll let you know, you know, they'll say, look, this is not jazzing me. I need, <laughs> I need something different. <laughs> and, right. and you can, um, you know, you can, work on that and follow those rabbit holes and um, give them, you know, all of the, the experiential learning that they crave. So. And you mentioned that Einstein finally started to thrive intellectually with a tutor. I mean, sometimes a child who gets lost in a group as far as being instructed and maybe starts to daydream and get distracted and draw um, will maybe just out of that empathic, sensitive, emotional intelligence be more responsive one-on-one -on -one to another human being and, and feel a little more captivated. Yeah, definitely. And and so yeah, that's the other thing is, thank you for reminding me of that. You don't have to do everything. You know, you can find somebody who um, has that kindred interest, you know, and, and that's one of the things that's really helped my eldest is um, she loves theater. She really loves theater. So we found a program. Um, it's not distinctly Christian, but there are, uh, it's heavily Christian and Catholic. There's a lot of us there. Um, and so she's found some mentors who have really brought out the best in her. Um, and so, you know, there, there are people, you know, who can work really well with your children. You just have to, to know the right places to find them. So. Mm, beautiful. Well, I really believe that this conversation is a blessing to many, Jenny. Thank you so much for time on a very busy day. And uh, we're just so grateful for all that you're doing for so many families, for moms and dads struggling in this homeschooling journey to help their twice exceptional children to thrive, to be fully alive, to be the people that God intends them to be. Just such a, a worthy, a worthy work that you are about. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. All right, everybody. And this has been uh, Ginny Coaches is our guest today, and she's found at notsoformulaic.com. And if you're like me and not gifted in spelling, formulaic is <laughs> F-O-R-M-U-L-A-I-C. So notsoformulaic.com. And please stay tuned for our short feature coming right up. Hi there, this is Chantal Howard from Ideal to Real. I've made it my goal to help pious aspirations come to life more easily in everyday living. In particular, I want to help you within the context of your homeschooling family. So in today's spotlight, I want to share with you three activities that will change and shape your family culture. I think we all get it. As homeschoolers, we recognize that we can't just teach our kids right principles or good philosophical knowledge or even solid theology. The culture of the world with its fashions and its fads and its music and its social media expectations is just too loud and enticing for our young people today. 
If we really want to win the hearts of our children and keep them, we have to create a culture strong enough to rival the secular realm. So here are three key steps to establishing your unique family culture. Step number one, reflect with your spouse about your natural personality strengths and loves. These are the things between the two of you that just make you tick, that come natural and get you excited. Boil down these characteristics to three words, perhaps something like musical, outdoorsy, generous. Remember, these are the traits about the two of you as a couple that inculcate your greatest strengths. They're not the things you wish you had. They're the things that you already have. Step number two, have a family powwow and get your kids involved in the discussion, helping them to flesh out if there's any distinctions that they want to add to the mix. But again, stay faithful to three characteristics and then brainstorm ideas and activities and ways that you can actualize these characteristics in real life. And step number three, get concrete. Schedule three activities this coming month that are going to bring to life the culture that you want to create. Imagine for a second if you choose music as one of your three characteristics. Well then, pick a song, work on it, practice, perform, or even record it together. If you're outdoorsy, plan a camping trip. Make sure it has good food and fort building or some adventure or destination that you work towards together. If one of your characteristics is generosity, then set up time to host a family or serve at a soup kitchen. One real life example that comes from my own childhood is that when money was tight, my mom often sat us down and said, it's time to go give away. She would hand us $50 bills or $100 bills in blank envelopes, and we would run to needy neighbors, tape them on the door, ring the doorbell, and run away. Talk about an impactful way for her to communicate the kind of culture she wanted us to have. So dive in and keep repeating these three simple steps. Identify your characteristics, make sure you brainstorm all kinds of fun ideas as a family, and then put them into practice so that you can see your culture take shape. I'm Chantal Howard with AromaRosary.com and ChantalHoward.com. I hope that you'll join me again for another Ideal to Real moment. And that's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com. Be sure to subscribe to Homeschooling Saints and leave us an honest review. God bless you and thank you for joining us.